As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, what do you call a snowman with a six-pack? Huh. I don't know. An abdominal snowman. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Merry Christmas. It's good. everybody and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales all right, everybody, here we are again. We just talked to y'all yesterday, but we're back again today. Matt, how you doing tonight again, brother? Hey, I'm great. It uh, It's Christmas Day. Woo! And, uh, you know, everybody is, you know, covered in wrapping paper and bows from opening up all your gifts. I hope Santa Claus was good to you. I'm still pulling tape off of the bottom of my shoes. <laughs> Always, always. <laughs> it's like for the next three days, uh, you know, picking up little pieces of rapid paper yep. everywhere. But, uh, but we're back. We're back for the second episode of our Christmas show. Oh yeah! And thank y'all so much for just just dumping all these stories on us. We love it. Yep, y'all flooded us with them, so we're gonna flood you guys with the readings of them. So this is all your fault. <laughs> uh, so real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. We're proud members of the Podbelly Network. Also, if you guys are not patrons, you can go check out our Patreon page at patreon.com/graveyardtales, and we have three different tiers. You can for the $10 patrons, you can watch us record these episodes. Um, and then for the $5 patrons and the $10 patrons, we put out videos of our Patreon episodes. And then all tiers get the audio. So if you're not and you want a little extra Graveyard Tales, you can go over there and help support the show and get a little bonus material for that. Yeah. Yep. So, Matt, I think everybody knows what we're doing already yeah so they know why don't you just start us out and let's get rolling no more all right hoopla and hoobly goobly <laughs> oh but before you I'm, do real quick i just remembered i'm wearing my elf team six shirt uh for christmas instead of the seal team six it's the elf team six awesome um and it's got <laughs> elves with ars on the back of it so 
Uh, I'm not going to take my hoodie off because it's cold and show you, but just imagine it's elves, you know, dressed up in uh, riot gear and stuff. It's pretty funny. Well, you know, it's Christmas Day, and imagine everybody's got some treats. My 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 special treat for the show tonight. I do this every every Christmas. I, I have uh, the the chocolate orange. Oh yeah, yeah. And these are so good and. Around here, you can only find them during Christmas. Yeah, um, but Santa Santa cheaped out, <laughs> and this is this is not the Terry's chocolate orange, which is the original one, I believe, yeah. and I th- I think it's in the U- it's in the UK. But this one's pretty good. But the the Terry's chocolate orange has just got that punch of that orange flavor mm-hmm. in there. That's so good. I. I have been getting those things since I was a kid, and I love the yeah. breaking them open. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's great. Just, and then you got all the slices. I love it. Yeah. So I'm yeah, jealous. For, yeah. It's, you know, it's one, of, it's one of my favorite Christmas treats, so. But anyway, you know, without any further ado, let's get into the stories. And this this first story that I'm going to share with you is uh, a, a little little close to my heart. This one comes from my sister. Hey, Matt's sister. <laughs> so... So we we don't always talk about, you know, but my sister experienced all those crazy things right along with me growing up in a house that was essentially haunted. Right. Well, you know, she uh she she's no longer lives in Middle Tennessee, but that doesn't mean that the the haunted stuff has to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so so here we go. We'll we'll get started with it. Wendy says says hello. My name is Wendy, and for those of you who don't know, I am Matt's sister. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, please. Pray for her. I own a medical spa in Johnson City, Tennessee, and the building we are in is haunted. I'll give you a little history of the building, then I'll tell you some of our experiences in it. The building was built in 1922 and was the manse for the first Presbyterian church. Once the pastor retired... A family purchased it and lived in it for many years. The family eventually sold it to a couple who ran a restaurant tea room there. Later, the building went into foreclosure, and it was empty from 2012 until 2015 when I bought it. The first encounter I had with our ghost was during the remodel before it was ready to open for business. I was interviewing a potential employee who would be doing spray tans at the spa. The best way to interview a spray tanner, of course, is to have her demonstrate her skills. If you aren't familiar with the spray tan process, every part of your skin is painted with an airbrush sprayer. So there I was, buck naked, getting a spray tan, and we were the only two people in the building. Suddenly, we heard loud footsteps coming up the stairs, as if a woman wearing high heels was slowly walking on the hardwood floors. Since I was not in a position to investigate, (laughs) my employee left me to check things out. I could hear her walking room to room, calling out, hello, but we were clearly the only ones in the building. Several different employees, including myself, have heard music playing when they are alone at the spa, as if another employee forgot to turn off her music before leaving for the day. But when you check the rooms to determine whose speaker is on, All of them are clearly off. 
I will close with the story of one of our hairdressers who was very vocal about her non-belief in our ghost during the first few months she worked with us. We kept telling her that our ghost would show her that she was real if she kept it up, but she didn't stop. Soon, that stylish hairdryer would come on by itself when no one was near it. After several occurrences, she finally relented and said, okay, fine, we have a ghost. (laughs) And the hairdryer no longer came on. So there you go. And, you know, I remember when Wendy bought this this building uh, to move her business into. And, and she told me about these things. Yeah, you she's and I like, have talked about it a little bit before. Yeah, yeah. And I, she says, I really think this place I bought is haunted. You know, <laughs> she's like, you know, grow up in a haunted house. And, and now I have a haunted business. Yeah. So. Just can't get away from it. You just can't get away from it. <laughs> but but thanks, sis. Uh, we we appreciate you sending in the story. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it, it's 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 really a lot of fun. But I mean, you know, I, this and 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 some of the other things she shared with me before. <laughs> yeah, she's she's got she's got a business in an old haunted house. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to go investigate there someday. All right, so this next one we got comes from Britt. And Britt says, My parents moved into a house about five years ago, and right from the start I felt uneasy there. Walking inside felt like stepping back in time, what I imagine the 60s or 70s looked and smelled like. I'm talking about wood paneling, shag carpets, and I didn't stay at my parents a lot because the house always gave this off-putting feeling. Now, the few times I did stay over, I always felt like I was being watched. One night, I was trying to fall asleep on the couch when I looked up and saw what I can only describe as a shadow creature slowly coming out from behind the television stand and start to climb up the wall. Ugh. I I held my breath as I was trying to figure out what it was I was seeing when it retreated back behind the TV unit. Unable to fall asleep, I turned on the lights and watched TV until morning. Less than a year later, I ended up moving back in with my parents due to some personal reasons. I don't know how to explain it, but the atmosphere in the house had changed. There was no sense of dread or creepiness that I had felt before. Cut to Easter weekend 2019, I began having weird dreams. In the dream, it was always the same. I was at my aunt's house for a family gathering. When my grandfather walked into the kitchen... I'd stared at him confused as he passed away 20 years ago when I was nine. I wasn't overly close with him, and I don't remember much about him besides what he looked like. In the dream, he kept trying to say something to me, but I couldn't hear him. He started to walk towards me when my dad cut him off. They stared at each other for a few minutes, and then my dad walked through the kitchen doorway and never came back. My grandfather continued to walk towards towards me until he stopped and put his hand on my grandma's shoulder. Just as I was about to hear what he was trying to say, I would wake up. I didn't think too much of the dreams, uh, so I didn't tell anyone about them. After that, the atmosphere in the house began to change again. It was nothing frightening. There was just a feeling like someone was watching you even if you were alone in the house. In July 2019, my father unexpectedly passed away while my family was still trying to process their grief a few months later, a week after what would have been my dad's 58th birthday, my grandmother passed away. It wasn't until her funeral that I remembered the dreams that I had earlier that year. 
Since then, the activity in the house has amplified, from glasses sliding across the counter to things missing, even someone knocking on the door and no one being outside. My dad was infamous for taking the dogs outside and locking himself out of the house where he would pound on the door. If we didn't hear him, he would go into the backyard and knock on my window. This has happened several times to the point that it has all four of my dogs on edge. Every once in a while, my mom or I will get a whiff of my dad's cologne or my grandma's perfume, even though we don't have anything in the house that have those distinct smells. The last thing I'll say is one day while at work, I was off in my own little world when a piece of paper fell from a box behind me. When I picked it up, it had my dad's name on it and the number 30. As my, as my work has had many people through here, I tossed it in the garbage and continued my day. When I got home, I sat my stuff down and noticed a piece of paper sitting in my turned off and unplugged printer. On the paper was my family tree on my dad's side. My great-grandfather was one of the last head chiefs of the Ojibwe tribes in Canada. His family members were known as the seers of the tribe and were said to have all sorts of paranormal gifts. It was at that point that I realized that along with the paper and the printer and the paper that I tossed out at work with my dad's name and the number 30, this had happened a week before what would have been my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So it seems like that dream with the grandfather was trying to tell her that her dad and grandmother were about to pass away because he spoke to each one of them in the dream. Yep. And that at some point, all of them have tried to make communication from the other side. Yep. Man, what a fantastic story. I mean, you know, it's, it's a little spooky, but kind of heartwarming at the same time. Yeah, I thought you that know, too. Yeah, it, it's funny how, you know, we talk about these things being so scary, but sometimes when you step back and you look at the potential, it's it's a lot less scary and much more eye-opening. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe there is something on the other side and – some people can cross over and communicate, whether mm-hmm. it be through dreams or through, you know, visions or, you know, in this case, um, you know, through through actual messages. Right. You know, left behind. You know, that's fantastic. I, I love I love that story. Yeah, me too. You know, I've I've had dreams of family members and, uh, you know, so I, I kind of know how that feels. So that's really cool. Okay, so our next story comes from Kyle. And uh, Kyle says, I have a respiratory disease called cystic fibrosis. This will explain why I had my experience. Five years ago, I had a double lung transplant at the University of Michigan. Before my transplant, I was obviously really sick, so I spent a lot of time in the hospital. A few months prior, I was placed on a ventilator. I was also sedated for a week, and during that week, I came close to death several times. I told my mom and the rest of my family that I was going to die and to say their goodbyes. University of Michigan is one of the best hospitals in the world. So if they say you're going to die, 
there is nothing they and there is nothing they can do. Well, you're probably a goner. So I obviously survived. I promise I'm not a ghost. At least I don't think I am. But when I woke up from my little coma, I remembered dreams I had had. I had seen my grandparents who passed away years ago. I had seen my dad who passed when I was a teenager. And I had seen a few other close family members in the room while I was on my deathbed. The final thing I remember is myself floating above my body watching my body on the ventilator and my mother holding my hand and crying. I felt at peace, no worries or pain or anything. I felt good. I believe that this was an out-of-body experience and I passed for a short time. But I was pushed back into my body. Well, I got off the ventilator and had my double lung transplant a few months later. After that, I met my girlfriend, now wife, and we have two children. It was not my time, I guess, and I'm very blessed. So, I like that story, too. Kyle, that, yeah, great story, and thank, thank you for sharing something so personal. Um, you know, but we've, we've talked a lot about um, out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences. It sounds like this was a little of both, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, if you're in a if you're in a coma, you know, you're in that weird conscious state where you are not necessarily asleep, but you're definitely not awake. You know, there's been a lot of stories of people who said they they were aware of what was going on while they were in a coma. You know, they knew people that came in to see them. They heard what was said to them. They just couldn't respond. Um, so when we talk about out-of-body experiences, you know, we, we really hear a lot of uh, of commonality where where people are in that in between. Mm-hmm. I wasn't asleep, but I wasn't awake, and I could feel myself come out of my body. Those are those are very uh, common things when you hear someone start to tell one of these stories. So, right, Kyle, I, I agree with you. I think that's exactly what happened. Yep, me too. And uh, again, thank you for sending that in. Um, this next one, uh, it, it was sent to us by Fav, and she's writing in for her partner, Damon. So this is Damon's story. It says, it was back in 2009, after my daughter had been born, Weed, his ex, moved into our first house and had been living there for a few months. One night, I randomly woke up in the early hours, roughly 4 a.m., My partner at the time and daughter were asleep and everything was in darkness. I sat up and checked my phone to see it was early, set it down and rubbed my eyes. I decided to look up and just look around the room after feeling slightly uneasy to see a silhouette standing in the corner. It was roughly close to seven foot tall, impossibly thin, with no features at all aside from these long pointy fingers that it was holding across its general face area. It felt like a complete void, like it had been cut out of reality and was just sucking everything into the space it occupied. I stared for a while before it slowly lowered its hands and raised its head to acknowledge me before sprinting directly at me. Screaming in various different voices, low-pitched, high-pitched, male and female, etc. Well, I dived under the duvet, terrified, 
and shook my then partner awake, incoherently trying to explain what I'd seen. When we both sat up, there was nothing there. Since that event, the back room of the house had a horrible energy. It felt gut-wrenching, just vile. You couldn't stay in there for long before beginning to feel panicked. Now, a friend who'd managed to sleep in there, uh, sleep in there reported scratching at the walls and their feet being touched. Eventually, we moved from the place with no further encounters until our second home. Now, the second encounter was in 2011. Again, like before, I randomly woke up in the middle of the night and I sat up to check my phone, etc., as I had before, again, roughly 4 a.m. I casually glanced around the room before noticing something odd on the wall. Straining my eyes to see what I, uh, to see, I saw a hand reaching around the door frame and resting on the wall, palm flat. It was again like a void and had long pointy fingers. As I tensed up, it slowly withdrew around the door frame and a head peered around. Again, no features at all, and it drew back again. As I sat terrified, I heard the stairs creaking as footsteps made their way down before sprinting back up. At that point, my daughter started screaming in utter terror from the next room, and both myself and my then-partner ran in to comfort her. She had scratch marks down her arms. The third encounter was only a week after my then-partner and I both woke up gasping at roughly 4 a.m. We both saw the figure standing in the corner, and like before, it ran at us screaming before disappearing. Years passed without incident. I split up with my kid's mother after my son was born in 2013, and eventually she moved out, taking both the kids. I eventually moved on and found another partner in 2014. I had never told her about these incidents and had since buried them deep in my memory. One night, she stayed over and told me the next morning that during the night, I had shaken her awake while thrashing in my sleep, seemingly having a very vivid night terror. She tried to wake me to no avail before feeling uneasy like she was being watched. She said she looked around the room to see a figure, really tall, impossibly thin, with no features aside from long fingers covering its face standing there. It remained there for a while before fading away, and my night terror seemed to stop. The last experience I had was a short one. I had turned the light off in the room before going to bed, and upon turning around, was met with the same figure stood right in my face. I immediately spun around and turned the light on and just stood facing the wall, terrified, but it had gone. I've not had an encounter since. That's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh! Man, that gives me cold chills. Yeah, he he says that he, he kind of wants to know what it is. Um, and, and me too. Me yeah. too, Damon, yeah. me too. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to know what it is too because it, it, it sounds like several different things. You know, it has characteristics of a shadow being, mm-hmm. but shadow beings typically don't touch you. Right. Um, you know, and they certainly don't scratch you, right? Um, and they, they, I, I, I can't recall a story where what would be considered a shadow person had has been, you know, so aggressive. Yeah, most of the time um, they lurk. Yeah, they don't like jump at you and try to make you pee your pants, which I would have done several times. Yeah. So, so whatever this is, it's 
it's definitely more aggressive and you know i i, I don't know i i, I don't want to immediately say evil but it, it it sounds it sounds evil yep um it, it definitely isn't a, a pleasant experience when they encounter this so if you have any ideas throw them into our facebook group let's talk about it yeah i can't say i've heard anything that that fits that description so no all right, so our uh, our next story comes from Courtney, and Courtney writes, I'm still not 100% sure what to think of this, but one night when I was about 17 and still living at home, I woke up in the middle of the night with this feeling like I was being watched. I had fallen asleep facing the wall, so I turned around to face the room. My room was pretty small and basically just had my bed a vintage rocking chair, and a makeshift window seat where I had made a bookshelf in it. When I had turned around, I saw two pale figures talking to each other. One was sitting in the rocking chair directly across from my bed, and the other was sitting on the window seat about two feet from me. Neither of them appeared to have seen me turn around, and for some reason, I was very calm about my room being invaded this way. So I just stayed still and studied them. The one in the rocking chair was very tall and reminded me of Abe Lincoln. He even had a tall hat, but he definitely wasn't Abe. The one on the window seat was shorter, had a very grandpa-like build, but was definitely from the same time period as the other. I remember noticing he had a pocket watch on a chain in his pocket. A few seconds later, the one in the rocking chair saw my eyes opened and turned his head to the other. The other one looked over at me and smiled and then said, It's all right. Go back to sleep. We'll watch over you for a bit. And I did. I felt safe with these two pale figures, rolled over, and went back to bed. The next morning when I woke up, I told my mom about this super weird dream I had and described the two men to her in detail. She got a very weird look on her face and went to grab her genealogy book she'd been working on. After flipping through it a second, she pointed to a photograph. I looked down, and sure enough, the two guys, brothers, were smiling back at me. Hmm. We didn't talk about the incident again until a few years later, at which point my mom had zero memory of it happening. To this day, I'm not sure what the heck happened, but ever since then, I've really loved learning more about the ghost, which is what led me to your podcast. Well, we're glad you found us. We're glad you found us, Courtney, and thank you so much uh, for sending in this story for our episode. We, We really appreciate it. And, and, you know, again, a, a really positive story with this experience. And it, it could have been a dream um, where you were maybe visited by some past family members or, you know, you were you were witnessing, you know, something that was playing out with actually an intelligent interaction. Yeah, you, know? you know what it makes me think of? Um, a lot of people say that, you know, some cultures call it guardian angels. Some call it guides. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think of it as guides. And you may have just witnessed your guides, which just so happen to be family members. Sure. And because we all have somebody watching out for us, you know, I, I 100% believe that, that 
Every one of us has something watching out for us. Guardian angel, spirit guide, whatever you want to call it, you know, ancestors, something. And I think you may have witnessed that because you felt at peace with them, because they said they would watch over you for a bit. You know, I, I think you caught a glimpse of your ancestors, which happened to be your spirit guides, just doing what they do and watching over you. And I, if I was you, would feel very fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Amanda wouldn't mind me sharing this, but um, her and her grandfather were very close. And when he passed, uh, we noticed that on occasion, you can smell cigarette smoke in the house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he was a pretty heavy smoker. And but that was one thing that that smell always reminded her of her grandfather. And I mean, from time to time, especially in, in the in the years following his death, uh, the the next you know couple of years, we felt it and could smell it more often. Right. And it was it was one of those things where you smelled it and you were like, "God, is somebody smoking?" Yeah. But you just. You, you just knew you're like, this is not supposed to be here and I'm not really smelling cigarette smoke. Right. You know, there's, there's no smoke here, but it was there and, you know, smells have a really strong thing. And, you know, I always feel like that her grandfather watches out for. Oh yeah. And I've told this on the, on an episode before, but I'll, I'll repeat it quickly here just since we're kind of on that topic. Um, when I lived in Tennessee, uh, when I first moved out to Hendersonville, uh, I had I had to be at work at like 530 in the morning. So I always left the house pretty early and I had been up, um, you know, guitar teching for a band the night before. Didn't get much sleep. I was getting old at that point where I couldn't just have <laughs> two hours of sleep and be fine, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was wiped out that morning and I'm driving to work and I'm getting on the interstate there from uh, um, Vietnam vets, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I was getting from my neighborhood, getting on the Vietnam vets there. And, and some of y'all in Tennessee and the Nashville area probably know that, but um, there's that long entrance ramp. And then as you get on it, the shoulder is there, but then it drops off into just a ditch, you know, over there on the side. Mm -hmm. And, I'm driving along and I guess I had fallen asleep at the wheel and I didn't hear those drunk bumps on the side of the road. They go as you hit them. Mm -hmm. But what I did hear was my grandfather's voice yelling at me, Adam, wake up. And my eyes popped open and I'm almost going over that uh, ditch over there. Yeah. So slammed on the brakes and I swerved out of the way, but I would have gone over that and probably died from falling asleep behind the wheel had I not heard my grandfather's voice telling me to wake up. And to this day, I remember it. And I'm still like, I get the chills when I think about it. And I'm like, well, he was watching out for me that day. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he did. He said, you're not, you're not going to be stupid and drive off the road here, kid. So. <laughs> Yeah, and you know that's great, and and I'm with you. I I I think that you know we have we have spirit guides, we have people that look over us, and mm -hmm. the, just the thought of it being a family member makes it all that more special. 
Oh, yeah. Yep. Next story we got comes from Lori. And Lori says, this happened when I was 14 years old in 1984. I'm the oldest of five children. My dad was the only parent that worked. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was a carpenter, and he was having a hard time getting work at this time. We had to move into an old building that the owner had made into apartments. This building is no longer standing. Um, It was constructed around the late 1930s, and it was old and run down, but all my dad could afford at the time. The owner was a preacher and told my dad as long as he paid the light bill, we could live there for free until he was working again. I had a terrible feeling when I walked up the stairs to the upstairs apartment, and I felt like I was being watched constantly. I had nightmares of seeing someone hanging in the attic. We were not allowed to go into the attic because the owner stored stuff in there, so maybe that was why I had nightmares and my mind invented terrible things happening there. I don't really know. The apartment had only two bedrooms, one my parents and little brother shared, uh, the other all of us girls shared. The bedrooms were side by side and no door between us, just an open doorway. The night of the experience was on a Saturday, and we were always allowed to stay up late on the weekends, so we finally got to bed after midnight when all of a sudden three orbs went through the wall, which would have been from the kitchen through our bedroom into my parents' bedroom. Of course, we started screaming. I have never seen anything like it before or since. My dad jumped out of bed and came to the door and said, Did you girls see that? We said, Yes. He was awake and said he saw all three balls of light because at this time we had never heard of orbs or anything like that. He said they went through our wall and went out of the window in his bedroom. Now, many years later, my dad built us a home and was gainfully employed until his death. I, of course, grew up and married with children. My mom called me and said, you will not believe this. You know, when we lived in that apartment on Front Street, which used to be an old storefront? I said, yes, I will never forget that place. She said, do you remember you used to have a nightmare about a boy hung in the attic? I said, yes. I can still remember how he looked, maybe 18, thin, with black hair. His head was hanging down so you could only see the top of his face at an angle. She said it was in the paper. A boy went up there and hung himself, and this was in the early 2000s. Now, the owner had died, the apartments were condemned, but vagrants would hang out there, um, and the family that took ownership of the building had it torn down after that. Now, I don't know if I was dreaming of a future event or what. I'm not sure why the orbs were getting out of there that night. All I know is it happened, and I dreamed a young man hung himself in the attic. That was my first experience with the spirit world, but not my last one. But one thing for sure, my whole family saw the balls of light, and no one can change what we saw. And my sisters and I still experience things and hear things to this day. However, I have never seen the balls of light again, but other things I will save for another time. Wow, so, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, you know, orbs are kind of unique things. You know, we... They're very contentious things. That's right. You know, we... We, we we hear a lot of investigators talk about seeing orbs or photographing orbs and 
it's it's real easy to fake those things in a photograph or a video or to mistake something that's not an orb and and believe it to be right right but you know the the way this happened you know to to actually see the balls of light come pass through a wall go through another wall and out a window and that many witnesses right attest to what that's they what saw, gets me the, 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 this one is it sounds legit yeah you know you had not only the kids but the dad see it and that's what got me with this story is most all of the family saw it right. so it's not like it was just oh you know something out of the corner of my eye or one person you know i've got an astigmatism so i get floaters when i look mm-hmm. into bright lights mm-hmm. you know so i can't say oh it was just something like that and you know how i feel about shared hallucinations But as far as the the dreams about the boy hanging himself in the attic, you know, you're you're having these dreams, you know, maybe 15 to 20 years before the event actually happened. Premonition? Maybe. um, It kind of makes me wonder if, you know, that place was... You know, it was already haunted. That's why you saw the orbs. And if possibly it had happened there in the past. And maybe some type of energy that was there had caused it to happen again. There, there's really no way to know unless you could, you know, go back in the history of that of that particular building and find an event like that that had happened previously. You know, it's, it's really strange. I have another strange. theory, though. Okay. There is a, a theory that it's been toyed with for a while, but it's not super popular. That something you experience in your future has such a big enough effect on you at the time that it ripples back in time and it causes something to happen to your past self. So, hmm. what if the... And it's like this weird cyclical loop thing, because if it wasn't for the thing in the future, the past thing wouldn't happen and Mm -hmm. vice versa. Yeah. So what if her hearing the story from her mom about the kid hanging himself in there in the 2000s was such a wild event to her that it caused her past self to have that dream about the boy and then it circles back so that there's some weird time loop because they say time is not linear. And we've talked about that with time travel and everything else. Time is not linear. So could that be what's happening or could her dreams and the effect of that have caused something to happen in the future? You know, is there some kind of time, not dilation, but you know, the, the act of an event being told to her in one time affect something in another time. Did y'all hear that? That that was my mind going <laughs> when Adam <laughs> described all this. I was like, ah, oh, my head hurts. I can't I can't follow all this, but I I see where you're going, and and that's I mean that's an interesting theory. I I can see why it's maybe not a popular one because yeah. it, it is kind of hard to wrap your head around something right. like that. Um. But I mean, you know, dreaming about something and then it happening years later, 
you know, really, really seems strange. But it, you know, it it could have been it could have been that could have been a premonition. Um, yeah, it could have could have been a lot of things. It's just it's really strange, and it, and I I don't know. It gives you the willies when you know something like that actually comes to fruition, right? Okay, so our next story comes from Carol, and Carol says it's a hoax, but a good one. <laughs> so let's see. So Carol writes, when I was a teenager, a long, long time ago. I worked as a lifeguard at a summer camp. It was on a beautiful lake deep in the woods. Along the water, we had a swimming dock, boating dock, nature area, and a swamp. The only thing near it was a public beach across the water. The camp went far into the woods, up a hill to several campsites, arts and crafts cabin, archery, a football-sized field, and, and other things like that. It was a day camp, but every week we had an overnight, boys one week and girls the other. Every night, you know, the same gender staff as the kids would work the night. We would run the kids through activities such as an evening swim, s'mores, and songs by the fire, and a movie. This was before anyone had cell phones, and we would collect watches and other breakables at the start of the night so they would not be broken during the great fun we were going to have. Then as the night progressed, we would keep nudging all of the clocks at the camp forward. By the time the kids finished the midnight movie, it was 9 p.m., and the kids were exhausted, (laughs) muttering, they couldn't believe we let them stay up till midnight. (laughs) (laughs) The the adult staff would take a break during the movie and while we got the kids down. Then the high school and college kids would be off for the night. They didn't care how long we stayed up as long as we got up with the kids in the morning. Every week, most of the staff that was off that week would get some pizza and come visit for the evening. We would go swimming, boating, or just sit around the fire and talk. One week, the guys were mad at us for something stupid a couple of the girls had done and said we were on our own for the night. Staff came and went to camp by the camp bus because we were also bus monitors for the long drive. This meant no one staying over had a car and we couldn't get our own snacks. We were pretty disappointed. Finally, one of the guys relented to our pouting and Bobby, not not the real name, uh, said he would pick up pizza for us. Bobby arrived and we ate. Then a few of us decided to go for a late night swim and the others headed up to the cabin for bed. We swam out to the far raft and floated under the stars. It was quiet, but we noticed odd lights under the water drifting toward the raft. They came quickly from all sides. At first we were curious, but then we started to get scared. They came right up under the raft and it started to shake violently. Bob said he he would swim in and get help. He dove in, but didn't surface. He couldn't make it all the way to the dock without coming up for air. Bobby was gone. We screamed for help, but no one heard us. We were way out in the water, and the cabin was deep in the woods. We decided that two more would try to swim in. The fastest sprinters offered to go, and they swam hard and made it, pulling up on the dock so fast they seemed to fly out of the water. They screamed that something had grabbed them, 
but that they had made it. Suddenly, the beach lights went dark. Something was crashing about by the tree line by the lifeguard shack. The girls ran through the dark to the boat dock and tried to take a canoe out to us, but midway, it lifted in the water and flipped them out. We could barely make out what was happening, but heard their panic screams as the girls surfaced and rushed back to the dock, leaving the overturned canoe abandoned. The lights were close to the canoe, and I decided it was my best shot. I dove in and swam the fastest I may have in my entire life. Something slid down my thigh and calf, catching hold of my my ankle. I kicked out and got free, popped up onto the dock, the only time I have ever pulled hard enough to land on land my feet on the dock instead of a knee first. I saw the rest of the girls pull up onto the dock beside me. The lights were circling around like sharks. The trees that edged the beach were shaking. What little safety the lights had promised was gone. No one could hear us screaming. We were trapped, cold and wet, on the small swim dock, and Bobby was still missing. Suddenly, one of the girls yelled, That one looks like John. What? I yelled back. I was yelling even though she was right next to me. That light monster thing looks like John, she yelled again. It looks like it's wearing a t-shirt with cut-off sleeves like John always has. We leaned over the water, and it did kind of look like an outline of John holding a big light under the water in the shallow polywog swim area. With an outraged scream, she launched herself onto the thing, which was John in his usual cut-off t-shirt, and pulled his head up by the hair. It seems the male staff had decided revenge was best served wet. (laughs) They had rented scuba gear, including lights. When Bobby dove in, they had air waiting for him underwater. They got him to land, and he had turned out the lights, and was thrashing about to keep us from trying to retreat to the cabins. Honestly, I would have been mad, but I was too impressed. It was an amazing prank they had played on us. (laughs) That's great. No joke. I mean, come on. I've pulled some pranks, but man, I never with scuba gear or anything. I was going to say, I have never rented (laughs) scuba gear for any prank. No, not, not even close. No. I mean, you know, I was, I was I was lucky to have something that I just had on hand. I certainly wouldn't go <laughs> buy anything. Right. That is, that is great. I, you know, you're I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yep. But but you know, I, I have to admit, I would have I would have been freaked out too, big time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I <laughs> I I wouldn't have immediately said, Oh, hey, this is someone pranking us. You know, I I definitely oh. wouldn't have. Because, again, you would have thought, who in the heck is going to go rent scuba gear? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might have thought, oh, that's somebody playing a joke on us. But then when nobody came up for air, right. you'd be like, well, what the hell's going on? You yeah. know, never would have thought scuba gear. Nope. All right. So this next one we got is from Phil. And this is not the Phil from our Moundsville prison episode. This is yeah. another Phil. <laughs> Different Phil. Different Phil. Now, Phil says, the following is a, is an event related 
related to me by my mother and happened shortly after I was born, which makes it just over 50 years old. I should start by saying I'm based in northern England and was born and raised and indeed still live in the county of West Yorkshire. At the time this event happened, I was, based on what I've been told, only a few months old. My parents had, after they were married, lived at my grandma's house in Armley as they didn't immediately have the means to rent a property. Armley is a northern town not far from the thriving city of Leeds and is largely working class, and many of its early population had worked in numerous woolen mills that sprung up during the Industrial Revolution. Many of the narrow back-to-back terraced houses that house the workers still exist today, albeit with vastly modernized interiors. This story begins with my parents finally raising the funds to rent one of these back-to-back terrace properties. I should explain that these homes were very tall and narrow, squeezed into rows on narrow streets, such that you had neighbors in the adjoining properties either side and another behind you facing out onto the street behind. Unless you were lucky enough to live on the end of the terrace row, all your windows and doors, which usually led directly onto the paved out, pavement outside, were all on the front. These houses were usually built from red brick or, in a few cases, bricks made from the locally quarried sandstone. They were at this point still heated by open coal fires and had large cellars beneath to hold the coal. By the day they moved in, my parents had managed to scrape together a few basic pieces of furniture and what they couldn't afford to buy various family members had donated from their own houses. As was often the way then, friends and extended family carried the furniture through the streets to enable the move-in, and at the end of a long and tiring day, my parents were finally alone and ensconced in their new home. Tired but happy and surrounded by boxes still waiting to be unpacked, they made a meal, then snuggled down in front of the TV for the evening before finally retiring to bed. At around two in the morning, they were awoken by the sound of a dog howling. My mother describes the sound as very loud and not just a normal howl. This was anguished, like the sound of a frightened animal. The sound seemed to be close by, and my father got out of bed to look out of the bedroom window. The street was empty, and all seemed undisturbed. Despite the continued howling of the unseen animal, none of the neighbors seemed to have been awoken by it. He hurriedly dressed and went downstairs, his intention being to open the front door and check out on the street, but he was immediately struck by the fact that the noise was noticeably louder in the living room, almost deafeningly so. This point, I should explain that in the corner of the living room adjacent to the door into the kitchen was another door. They hadn't paid it much attention during the day as they hadn't felt the need to open it, but now he could clearly hear that the sound was coming from beyond the door and my father assumed that the dog had somehow become trapped behind it. At this point, my mother, too, came down the stairs. What is it? she asked. My father eyed the door nervously. Sounds like a dog. It must have got locked in the cellar. I should probably let it in, he said. My mother stepped back to the bottom of the stairs. Be careful, she said. It might go for you. According to my father... He was more concerned it might knock him flat in its rush to get out, so he opened the door onto the street so that it could escape to the outside. Returning to the cellar door, he grabbed the handle and braced himself 
for it dashing past him. From the sheer volume of the noise, it sounded like quite a large animal. On the count of three, he turned the handle and pushed, expecting the door to open inward onto the cellar steps, but the door resisted, as if it had swollen with the damp and was stuck shut. He put his shoulder to the door and forced it. As the door opened, a rush of cold air from the cellar hit him in the face, and the sound abruptly stopped. He stepped back from the door, waiting just a moment or two, half expecting a whimpering dog to come timidly out, its head bowed and its tail between its legs, but nothing. All was quiet, and my father looked at my mother, confused. You'd better go down and check, she suggested, as she closed the front door again. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But... He goes on to say he flicked the light switch at the top of the steps and was thankful that the light fitting in the cellar had a working bulb. He descended the, co- the cold stone steps into the cellar and hesitantly entered the cellar proper. The ceiling was high enough for him to stand without stooping, and the light was bright enough to illuminate every corner of the room. The cellar was completely empty, apart from a half-empty sack of coal. No dog. High up in the wall was a narrow, steep chute, at the top of which was a small cast-iron door on heavy hinges. This would open outward to allow coal deliveries to be made. As was obvious from the half-empty sack, the previous occupier had purchased a bag and brought it down to the cellar rather than have a load tipped down the chute, and sure enough, the hinges on the door looked rusted and unused. My father pushed at the little door, but it refused to budge. So he felt certain that no animal had entered or left the cellar by that route, especially since the door was a good six feet from the floor. He continued his inspection of the cellar, then climbed the stairs back up to the living room. There's nothing down there, he assured my mother. It must have been outside somewhere. Even as he said it, he didn't really believe it. The howling, he felt, had clearly come from beyond the door. He pulled it shut just to be certain. My mother made them both a cup of tea, which they sipped with one eye on the door, and after some discussion decided that the noise must have come from the street outside. My father even came up with a theory that perhaps the howling animal had been near the door to the coal chute and that the sound had somehow carried through the little door and been amplified by the empty cellar with its bare stone walls, such that it sounded like the noise came from below. Either that or the dog was in the cellar of a neighboring house, and the sound was somehow audible from this cellar. I'm just going to cut in here and say, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that you make up to make yourself feel that's better. That's exactly right. <laughs> He's, he goes on to say that after an hour or so, they decided to go back to bed. It had been a long and busy day, and they were both very tired. My father turned out the lights, and they went back upstairs to bed. A while later, not long after they had dozed off, the howling started again and they both sat up with a start. My mother swears that if possible, it was even louder and more frantic than the first time. They dashed downstairs, and this time my father didn't bother going to the cellar door. Instead, he unlocked the front door and went outside. The coal chute door was a little above ground level and situated by the stone steps that led up to the front door. The street was quiet apart from the muffled sound of the howling, coming from the other side of that little door. He bent down and placed his ear close to it, noting as he did that it was bolted shut and that the bolt was almost rusted solid. 
Deciding that the dog couldn't be anywhere other than the cellar, he went back inside and braced himself yet again to go down and have a look. As he approached the door, he put his ear close to it and listened. The howling was still loud, and he looked at my mother for her thoughts. It must be down there somewhere, she said. You'll have to let it out. We can't leave it down there, and we're obviously not going to get any sleep until it's done. He shrugged and reached for the door handle. As he did so, the howling ceased and was replaced by a frantic scratching on the other side of the door, making him jump back in surprise. The sound was around waist height, indicating a fairly large dog. He placed his head against the door, and he recollects that the that he could physically feel the impact of the claws scratching the wood. He advised my mother to go back upstairs and again open the front door, wondering what the neighbors would think if they were awake to see a, his strange behavior. Then, before he could change his mind, he turned the handle and threw the cellar door back. The scratching ceased the moment the door opened, and again, all was silent. Assuming the dog had retreated down the stairs, he turned on the light and hurried down to find it before it went into hiding. Once more, he found nothing. My mother called from the top of the cellar stairs. Well? Nothing, he called back. He checked the coal chute door, was still solidly in place, and went round the cellar tapping the walls. As the house had only a small footprint, the cellar wasn't that big, and apart from a few supports to hold up the floor above, there wasn't any obstructions or hiding places. The stairs themselves weren't solid stone and had no space beneath it which anything could hide. He even lifted the half sack of coal, knowing even as he did so that there wouldn't be a dog hiding beneath it of any size, let alone a big one. I'd have done the same thing. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. Just got to rule it out. Yeah, exactly. Admitting defeat, he returned to the foot of the stairs and looked up at my mother. It can't be hiding, because there's nowhere to hide. As she turned away and started to climb the stairs, for the second time that night, the cellar door started to swing closed, and he stopped dead. The cellar side of the door was covered with fresh scratches, the paint shredded, and the wood beneath a mass of splinters. He quickened his pace and called her back, showing her the door. They were both now alarmed. He left the cellar light on and closed the door a little so that a thin crack of light could be seen. Knowing that neither, uh, neither of them would sleep tonight, they opted to get properly dressed and sit the rest of the night out. Minutes later, both dressed, they returned to the living room where their baby, who had, by the way, slept through the whole event, and sat down on the sofa. The kettle was on once again, and as it boiled, they discussed what to do. They'd raise the issue with the landlord in the morning, they decided, and hopefully someone would come and work out what the hell was going on. As they started to sip their tea, the howling started again, clearly coming from the cellar. Needless to say, they jumped to their feet, abandoned everything else, and fled the house immediately, heading back to my grandmother's in the wee small hours. Days later, my father ventured back with a few friends to collect their belongings, but after that, they never went back again. Holy crap. No kidding. Oh, man. Now, look. Now, as freaky as the howling would be, when I saw the back of that door with the scratches and the splinters. Dude, I know. I would have done exactly this. In fact, I probably wouldn't have waited. I would have been like, no. we're out. Yeah. You that know. second time. Yeah. I wouldn't have waited for a third time. Uh-uh. No, I'd have been out after I saw the scratches on the door. I'm done. 
I'm done. This is it. Yep. You know, obviously there's something there. Oh, yeah. And something that is testing you in some way. That's right. And, you know, it ain't going to stop. Nope. You know, so if you if you start to think, you know, but people are like, well, this is my house and everything. Yeah, but, you know, you got to sleep. Yeah. And if this thing's not going to let you it. sleep, you know, you, you're going to have to figure something else out. So. Yeah, it's just a house. You can have it. We just moved That's in. right. Yeah. But that one's great. Thank you for sending that in. That's freaky as all hell. Yes, it is. All right, Adam, our next story comes from Tabitha. And Tabitha says, My story takes place about 20 years ago. My grandfather on my mother's side had died. I was never very close to him. He always seemed rather cranky and didn't like kids much. When I was a, it's me. It's, it's Adam. Sorry. It's Adam. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a child, every summer, my two brothers and I would take turns spending a week with our grandfather and step-grandmother during the summer. They lived in Gaylord, which is in northern Michigan, not far from the Upper Peninsula. We've mentioned Michigan a lot tonight, you know? We have. It was the middle of nowhere, and it could be rather boring for a young city kid. My step-grandmother was a very sweet lady whom I adored, and who made the visits nice by spoiling me with good cooking and lots of attention. Anyway, when I got the news, I hate to say that I was not as upset as I would have thought I would be. I was married in my late 20s with three young children, and I had not seen my grandparents in a while. My kids, a daughter and two sons, were about the ages of 10, 4, and 6 months. I got the time off work to drive the four four to five hours with my husband, kids, and my mother to go up north for the funeral. We lived in southeast Michigan at the time. I had told my kids that we were going to stay in a hotel, and they were excited as they had never done that before. We drove up to my uh, grandmother's daughter's from her first marriage house, first to change clothes and go straight to the funeral home before going to the hotel. My grandmother seemed to be taking it well as my grandfather had had a stroke and had been unwell for some time. I do know that he had been unconscious for a few days before he passed. When we got to the funeral home, my oldest son, he was four, began crying and was upset. He didn't want to stay because he actually thought the funeral home was the hotel and he didn't want to stay where there were dead people. (laughs) I don't blame him. Right. After explaining that this was not the hotel, it was the funeral home, and that we would not be staying with the dead people, he was fine. I thought it was kind of funny, poor kid. I wouldn't have wanted to stay either. The reason I say all of this is to show that the general mood was not sad. No one was outwardly crying or upset, except for my poor son. Everyone seemed to be in a somber mood, but not having a hard time with the death itself as it seemed to be a natural outcome of the situation. Once we got settled, I found my brother's wife who was seated in the back of the viewing area and off to the right. Her and my brother had driven separately, so I had decided to sit with her and chat. While I was talking to her, I had my head turned slightly to the right with the casket about 20 feet away directly in front of me. Whenever I would look at her, 
I would see movement out of the corner of my left eye at the head of the casket. When I turned my head to look directly at it, I would only see the casket with my grandfather. At first, I thought I was seeing the flickering of the candles that were at both the head and foot of the coffin, and that I was seeing shadows caused by the candles. It was an open casket and had already gone up to say a prayer and my final goodbye, so I knew that his head was to my left and his feet to my right. This happened a few more times. I would be talking to my sister-in-law with my head turned slightly and would see movement out of the corner of my eye. I would look directly at the coffin and see nothing. I decided the next time it happened not to turn and look directly at it and just try to watch. What I ended up seeing was rather shocking. I could see a transparent image of my grandfather in the suit he was laid out in. I saw him try to shake his corpse by the shoulders as if to wake himself up. I was able to see them see him do this several times. It didn't stop there, though. I saw him get in the coffin and then try sitting up. It was like he was trying to wake himself up or make himself get up. Wow. He, would, he would try that a couple of times and then go back to trying to shake himself awake. This went on for almost two hours. He seemed frantic and clearly not ready for what had happened and or not willing to accept it. He had been unconscious for a few days before he had died, so I'm not sure that he fully understood what had happened. My mom had told me more than once that he had not been a very nice man while she was growing up, and whether or not this had anything to do with him not wanting to die or not, I don't know. He was in his mid-80s when he died and had been in a nursing home for some time um, due to poor health. That night, back at the hotel, I told my husband what I had seen. He was shocked, as he had not seen anything, but he did believe me. The next day when we went back to the funeral home for the final viewing, he was still there. Now, though, he did not seem as frantic as the day before, as if the situation was finally starting to sink in for him. I still saw him trying the same things, just not as fervently as the day before. Wow. My husband had still seen nothing, and I never mentioned this to my mom. The next day, we drove down to the cemetery uh, in, I believe, Anchor Bay, Michigan, where he had a plot next to his first wife. This was in February. So there was a small service in a mausoleum as the ground was too frozen for him to be buried right away. I saw nothing there, but for a few days after, I could not shake the feeling of being watched. It faded away, and I never thought about it much more after that. Fast forward about nine or ten years later. I had become best friends with my sister-in-law as we both were going through divorces with young children. We had started spending a lot of time together. Our boys would play together, and her and I had both started the hobby of making jewelry. One weekend, we managed to start talking about my grandfather's funeral. I don't remember how it came up, but I ended up telling her what I had seen. I was worried she thought I was making it up until she told me, that she had seen the same things I saw. Wow. She said she had kept seeing things out of the corner of her eye when she was talking to me and could not see it straight on either. 
She saw him trying to wake himself up and shaking himself. She had never told anyone else until then. I was kind of relieved because then I knew I had not imagined it, but it totally creeped me out because what I saw was real and confirmed by someone else. Holy cow. That is such a cool story. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I've ever heard a story quite like that. Now, I, I have heard stories from people who have said they have seen um, maybe an, a, a, a faint image of mm-hmm. the person who had passed at the funeral or at the gravesite. That right. I've, I've, I've at least heard half a dozen stories of seeing the image of the person who passed at the gravesite. Right, kind of watching their funeral or whatever. Yeah, but this whole idea of maybe not not realizing you had passed and and trying to to wake his body up, unwilling to accept it and crawling into the casket and sitting up yeah, and everything. Yeah, you know, and, and for two hours. Yeah, and 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 was there the next day. Yeah, and yeah, still there. Um. You know, if and if that's not enough to to have it confirmed years later by someone else who saw the same thing, but you know, didn't share it because right. it, you know it. I mean, those kind of things can really hit you hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, especially when you're talking about the emotion that would come with a funeral, even if it's for somebody that's not you're not very close to. Um. You know, there's a lot of emotion um, and, and there's a lot of energy around funeral homes because of that emotion. And and then to witness something like that, you know, I'm I'm really surprised that, you know, she was able to go and, and, and talk to her husband about it because most people would like, I can't tell anyone about this because yeah. they're going to think I'm crazy or I'm just making it up. Yep, exactly. But that. That's a gra- that is a great story. Yeah, thank you for sending that in cuz like Matt said, I don't think I've heard one exactly like that and that's that's fascinating. Yeah. Like I'm I'm still reeling and probably will be from that story for a while. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the next one we got uh comes from anonymous. And they say these little stories have happened in our home and are real. Not really one story, but a bunch of occurrences. We moved into our home around 10 or 11 years ago. The first thing we had happen was a few months after we moved in, we came home and our dog was let out of the cage. The cage was locked. The faucets were on full blast on hot water and the sinks were all very warm. So it had been running for a while. We thought maybe someone had been in the home, but nothing was missing. We disregarded it and moved on. We started seeing shadow people after that. We had little girl in a white dress that would run into a hall in our upstairs bathroom. We had what looked like predator in the kitchen and downstairs bathroom, which we later decided may have been like Native American headdresses and a short guy about five foot tall with no neck that would follow you around the house and stand next to you. Of course, he always disappeared when you turned to look at him, but my wife and I always would see and describe the same thing. I went to get the mail after 
after dark one evening and something materialized in front of me in the middle of the road on the way to the mailbox. I didn't miss a step, turned around, unable to breathe, and walked back to the house, not getting the mail. <laughs> That's exactly what I would have done. Exactly. I'd, you'd have heard a whoop, and I'd turn around and go back into the house. So they go on to say, we started to notice that we went through a lot of light bulbs. Anytime we had a bulb blow, you would see something in that area up to three days after the bulb blew. We have a wraparound porch, and we blew all of the bulbs on one side. That evening, I was heading out to the barn, and when I walked out of the door on that side of the house, there was the no-neck figure standing next to the door facing me when I walked out. This went on for a long time. Sometimes you could go a few months without seeing anything. Then my wife or myself would always bring it up and ask the other, have you seen anything lately? The answer was always yes, and one would describe exactly what the other one was seeing. It's one thing to think you saw something. It's something else entirely when another person confirms they saw the same thing in a different place or at a different time. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a year, we had another child. When he was two, we blew a few light bulbs and the activity returned. My son was standing at the top of the basement stairs talking. My wife asked what he was doing, and he said, Daddy is in the basement. I was at work at the time. We had a baby monitor in his room and the other one in our room. We heard a little girl talking to him. We have a daughter, but it did not sound like her, and she was in bed. I checked. The girl kept talking to him, almost inaudibly at times, kind of a staticky sound most of the time. Now, to our surprise, he responded and said to leave him alone because he wants to go to sleep. The next few nights, we heard noises, and then we heard a deep man's voice, almost a growl, saying something we couldn't understand. A woman, not a girl, cut him off and said no. The no was super fast and very loud. The voices stopped. The next night, he didn't want to sleep in his room. I asked why, and he said there is a ghost in there. I didn't even know he knew what a ghost was. After all, he was only three. I asked him what the ghost looked like. He said there was a little girl. Keep in mind, this is only a few feet from where we saw the little girl with the dress that runs through the wall. My hair stood up on my neck for sure. Then he said there was a man too. I asked what he looked like. He told me he had a big hat on and he sits in the corner while he sleeps. After listening to your podcast and others, it's the hat man to a T. He slept with us for a few nights, and I put some nightlights in there and rearranged the room so the dresser was in that corner. No more issues after that. Then one night, I was putting my daughter to bed. Her bed is against a wall and has a nightstand on the other side. She had one of those old-style alarm clocks on the nightstand. I covered her up and tucked her in. As I turned around, the alarm clock flew past me and rolled to the other end of the bedroom, almost 18 feet away. I turned back to look at her, and she was still tucked in, completely under the covers facing the wall. I always had trouble turning my back to her closet. It was the creepiest place in the whole house. Of course, we get footsteps and toys turning on by themselves, too. Then, one evening, I was sitting in the living room, and a new thing showed up. This thing is like seven feet tall no more than 18 inches wide, white, 
not see-through, and it looks kind of like one of those Dementor things on Harry Potter. It was standing in the doorway to our living room. I didn't say anything to anybody, just went on my way. About three weeks later, I was out one evening locking up the barns. As I turned away from one barn, the same thing was standing next to me and followed with me about two feet from me all the way to the other building. I don't think I took a breath the whole time. I have also caught it standing at the edge of the house when I was in the garage. No idea what it is. Then one day, my wife was home and standing at the sink. Over the sink, we have a window that looks out onto the driveway. I got home that evening, and she asked the old question, Have you seen anything lately? I said yes and asked her what she saw. Of course, she had saw shadows on the porch, which is not out of the ordinary. But then she says, I saw this thing that looked like a tall, skinny woman wearing, a, wearing white with blonde hair and green eyes that went through the driveway really fast and disappeared behind our car. I told her I'd seen something similar. Then she says, it was staring at me the whole time. I was freaked out, to say the least. About the time that thing showed up, my grandpa had passed away, and I had brought home this old gumball machine he used to keep for the kids. Just a memory of him. Well, one evening, setting up watching TV again, I see two little legs run into the living room, stop, and run out again. I'm talking little legs, like six- or seven-year-old size legs. Just the legs. A night or two later, my wife asked, right? And you see Matt's face with that just the legs. That freaked me out too, Matt. <laughs> yeah. A night or two later, my wife asked our favorite question again. I told her that I saw a pair of legs run through the living room. I never said they looked like kids' legs. She told me she had gotten up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, and when she walked through the kitchen, she had seen a little boy standing at the gumball machine. In the months after that, the boy would pop up all over the place. One evening, I was sitting on the couch, and I saw a head pop up behind the love seat on the other side of the room. I was staring right at it, and it was staring back at me. It wasn't intimidating or anything, but it kept popping its head up and running back and forth behind the couch. It would peek around the end and everything, like it was playing. I actually had to laugh at it, and it was probably the coolest thing I had ever experienced. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, that is a lot of activity yeah. for one place. I'm, I'm telling you, this story, it, it, there, there's, there's so many different experiences here. Yeah. And, I mean, he, he mentions the hat man. and That's one thing I was thinking when he was saying it. Yeah. Describing it. And, you know, but then, you know, a little girl, possibly a little boy, some other strange spirit, you know, in white, you know, all of these different entities. Um, so it, 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 this one really makes me think that there's something about the house that, yep. that's holding on to some energy. Maybe the property itself has, has some strange, uh, characteristics. Um, you know, I, I would I would be interested to look into things like ley lines, uh, underground springs, you know, something something that would um, 
that would that would really push the energy in and around the house. Right. But right. Because it's 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 this is out of the ordinary. I mean, I mean th- these For are sure. these are the kind of stories that we hear when we talk about uh, haunted hospitals or prisons where there was so many people over the a long period of time that you know these spirits just kind of get stuck and and you know there's all these different things you don't really hear those stories around a house but the stories we have talked about in the past that do have multiple entities you know some some friendly you know some strange maybe maybe one or two that aren't so friendly mhm you always hear this this idea that there's a demonic presence there that keeps the other spirits captive right like holding them in yeah and 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 governs what they do now i you may recall i don't any kind of situation where the hat man was associated with behavior like this um but it makes you wonder because with the little with the little girl spirit saying no um it really makes you wonder it, it would would this this entity with the hat is is somehow maybe you know maybe not the captor that may that may not be a good word but maybe the the leader mm-hmm. um or, or at least the the self proclaimed leader, and maybe has some type of control over what other spirits are there. Um, Could be, but I mean, what what an amazing story! Now, yeah, I got to I got to be honest. I am impressed that that anybody could stay in a house this long to experience mm-hmm. this much. Right, right. I mean, I'd have been trying to move long before the little legs showed up. Oh, uh, you know, and once the voices started coming up, then I was like, okay, we got to, yep. we got to go. I mean, you know, obviously there, there, there's more spirits in this house than there are people. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. There, it's too close for comfort. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's not enough room for all of us. We got to go. Right. You know, but, uh, but you know, the baby monitor thing, you know, we've heard a lot of stories about picking up, uh, picking up sounds on, over baby monitors. And, you know, that may have been just the, you know, kind of like having a, a spirit box, yeah, you know, possibly. Uh, the, the white noise, uh, was enough to, to provide that outlet for you to actually pick up and hear, you know, what was going on. You know, right. you've seen plenty, but you know now now you have a way to hear it. Great story, I'm telling you. Great yeah, story. I know. Okay, Adam, our next story comes from Hillary. Now, Hillary writes, although I have not had many paranormal experiences, I've had a lot of weird events in my life. Here are just a few. During my senior year in college, 2013, I roomed with a friend who had I had made the year before. The dorm building we were living in was built in 1965, so it was not as old as other buildings on campus, 
But over the several decades, thousands of students had lived in it. At one point, for whatever reason, all of our microwaves would go haywire, turning on and off Mm. without anyone having touched them. A friend and I experienced this. She became frightened and shouted, stop, you are freaking us out. And it did, abruptly. We personally never heard a microwave go off again, but others in the building did over the year that we lived in the dorm. I always like to preface this story with, the girl I roomed with during this same year is very honest and very afraid of spooky things. She would never make up a story to try and scare me. It's just not in her nature. In our room, she and I had our beds bumped. I slept on top and she on the bottom. And this is important to know. One night, we went to bed as usual. I'm not a hard sleeper and I'm not a known sleepwalker or even talker. The next morning, I woke up and thought we both had a restful night until my roommate asked me if I was okay. Yes, I was perfectly fine. Why, do I look ill? What she would say next still baffles and makes me question what happened that night. No, you were up sick all night. You kept walking up and down your ladder and out into the hall. Neither of us had an explanation for this, and we never did find out if I had actually been sleepwalking or if it was something else. In all the time we lived in that room, it never happened again, at least not to our knowledge. Lastly, I would like to tell you about my inexplicable way of knowing things. I like to think it's because I am blind in my left eye and low vision in my right and therefore have extrasensory perception, but who knows? Although I have predicted many little things, I am best known for my ability to sense when someone is pregnant, even before they themselves know or have told anyone. This ability always manifests in the form of a dream, where I am pregnant, sometimes I am interacting with the person, but even when I do not, I always wake up knowing who is pregnant. This ability proved very useful during my own pregnancy in 2019. A few weeks before we were going to find out the gender of the baby, I had what I can only explain as a lucid dream. I felt as though my consciousness left my mind and traveled into my womb. I can't explain it any other way than that. It felt as though my whole soul was flowing through my body to where my baby was. While there, I saw and confirmed to myself that I had been correct as to the gender. I had known the moment I realized I was pregnant. Yet, no one believed me except my mother, who had lived with my strange knowing when I was growing up. In August 2019, two days shy of the day my husband and I had met five years prior, our son was born. After all that, my husband took my premonitions a little more seriously. Here's a little side thing. My friend from the microwave incident has started calling me a calendar witch because of my ability Hmm. to predict when events will happen and all of the strange dates that line up in my life. I nearly share a birthday with my own husband and other oddities like that, but I digress. My last little thing I will share is that after the birth of my son, for many weeks, I always had the feeling that a dead family member was near me. I had never experienced this before at any other special event in my life. Many of my family members are now gone, so I am positive they just wanted to check in on me and my new baby. 
Yeah. Wow. Gra- I mean, you know, fantastic. We hear we hear stories like this very frequently where people have some type of extrasensory perception and are, you know, very sensitive to these kind of events. I love the calendar witch moniker. Yeah, too. that's great. <laughs> All right. So our next story comes from Brandon. And Brandon says, when I was in my teens, I lived with my paternal grandparents. Their home was two stories with an unfinished basement and a small crawl space, which my grandfather built after he married my grandmother. The land had never, to my knowledge, had any other homes on it. And to this day, no deaths have occurred there. But for the years I lived there, I consistently experienced something very strange. To help everyone understand my story, I have to give a little information on the layout of the house. You enter the house into a small living room. On its left is a short hallway that leads into the bathroom and one bedroom. Immediately off the living room on the right is my bedroom. Then, moving forward into the house, you enter the kitchen, which is directly across from my grandparents' room. Their room is right next to mine. In this small living room, there was an old gas lamp that my grandfather had turned into an electrical one. They left this lamp on at night, which lit up the entrance to my bedroom. I had to sleep with my bedroom door open because the whole house was cooled by one window air unit air conditioner. And as a result, I was able to see into the kitchen and the living room, as well as see anyone who went to the bathroom or entered the kitchen or see when my grandparents either went to bed or left their bedroom. To avoid being kept up by the lamp at night, I made a habit of sleeping on my side facing away from my door, but I could still see the shadows of anyone who passed by my door. Multiple nights a week, when I would be lying in bed, long after my grandparents were asleep, I would see the shadow of a person standing in my doorway, leaning like it was checking to see if I was asleep. It had no identifiable features or clothing, but I always got the impression it was male. It never entered my room or interacted with me at night, but just leaned into my doorway to make sure I was in bed. I never felt threatened or frightened by it. Mostly, I was excited because I have been a lifelong fan of all things paranormal. After I graduated high school, I went off to college nearly three and a half hours away, and as a result, it was quite a while before I came home for the weekend. On my first weekend back visiting from college, I had my strangest experience with the shadow. I was home alone because my grandparents were off at work. I was sitting in the TV room on my laptop where the stairs leading to the second floor are. The staircase is open, meaning that you can almost see all the way to the top step. As I was sitting downstairs on my computer, I heard the sound of footsteps running across the ceiling. I turned around to see if someone was coming down the stairs which was really terrifying because I'm a hundred, I 100% percent knew I was home alone, and all I saw was the completely black shape of a head peering down at me from the floor above. It looked like someone had laid down on the second floor and crawled to the edge of the floor where the stairs were and stuck just enough of their body over the edge to be able to look into the TV room. I slammed my laptop closed and jumped out of my chair, but the shadow disappeared. For some stupid reason, I thought it would be a good idea to go upstairs and see who or what was in the house. So I climbed the staircase and searched all the rooms up there, but didn't find anything. Then it hit me that it must have been the shadow man. While I was up there, I decided to try to speak to it. So I just said out loud to the room that I was 
off at school and wouldn't be home very much, but that he didn't have to worry about me. I would be fine, and I would come home so often to visit. Later that night, when I was back in my bedroom with the light from the lamp reflecting off my wall like always, I saw the shadow block my doorway like it used to, but this time it completely entered my room, and I felt the pressure of something touching my touching the back of my head like it was stroking my hair. I turned around, but nothing was there. After that, I never had another strong experience with the shadow, just the occasional bedtime check-in when I was home from school. Now that I'm married and moved out, I don't see him anymore. I have no idea who or what he was. Like I said, no one has ever died in the home or on the property, nor do I have any deceased male friends or family members who I think would be wanting to check on me during during their afterlife. It was never threatening or frightening to me and only ever made me scared at all that one time. I'd like to know what fo- what you fellows think it may have been. And <laughs> Does it really fit that's my shadow best guess. person? No, it doesn't. It I I don't know, man. I you know, it could be like we said before, a, a guide of some sort, a guardian angel. Yeah. But I don't know it. When you think of the descriptions of guardian angels, it doesn't. It doesn't fit that fit either. Their description because it sure seems like it's tied to the house, right? You know, other, right. Otherwise, you know, the experience I think would follow you. You know, you may have had one, at, you know, yeah. at school, or you you may have had one, you know, in in your current home or in previous homes. But whatever this is, it seems like it's it's tied to that house, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily tied to you. I don't know. It's it's very interesting. You know, again, we talked about this. Shadow people are usually not aggressive. You don't see them uh, when you look directly at them. And, you know, they, they typically don't touch you. At least, it, right. you know, they may get close enough to you. But, again, if you look right at them, they're gone. Um, you know, and, there, and there's not a, a, a physical aspect to it at all. So I'm not really sh- – I'm right. not really sure – but it it does sound like some type of, of spirit or entity that's you know innocuous, and yeah. and maybe maybe just a protector, maybe maybe you know may, maybe just a you know an, an an old ancient spirit that you know is tied to the land. Yeah, maybe. All right, brother. This one comes from Sarah, and Sarah writes. I heard this from a close friend who heard it directly from one of the nurses involved. I have no way to confirm if it's true. Take it as you will. It's the graveyard shift in a nursing home, I think in Tennessee. Hey, all right. There are two nurses on this particular floor the night this story takes place. There is one particular gentleman that is what was described as pure evil. He was in the top security area because of his behavior to other patients and nurses. So late one night or early one morning, the nurses are chatting at the nurse's station and they hear someone swipe into the floor through the security door. They lean over the desk, but don't see anyone, but they certainly heard someone come in. As they sit back down, they feel and hear someone walk by the nurse's desk. It's a dark and evil feeling that surrounds whatever is walking down the hallway. 
They sit in terror as it moves past the nurse's station and down the hall. They hear a door open and close farther down the hall, and then the screaming starts. It's the evil older man screaming in terror. It wasn't very long, but of course in that situation, it felt like hours. Then the screaming stops, and they are frozen in their seats. Then the door opens again. Whatever is on the floor walks past the nurse's desk and back out the security door. It's quiet on the floor again. They work up their courage and finally go check, and the older man has passed away. A look of what they describe as extreme terror on his face. They make all the proper arrangements for his body and wait for their shift to end. At the end of their shift, they go to security and describe to the security officer on duty what they experienced. The security officer pulls up the video from the time, and on the video, they see what can only be described as a demon opening the door, walking Mm. down the hall past the nurse's desk, where it turns his head to look at the women as it passes and into the room of the older man. They hear the screaming, then silence, and the demon opens the door. The older man tossed over his shoulder and goes back down the hall, once again looking at the women at the station and right at the security camera before going out the door and disappearing. Both nurses and the security officer quit working there within three weeks of the incident. Good grief. Now, I know she prefaces this by saying that this this wasn't a direct experience, and you know she can't verify if it's true. But there have been other stories similar to this. Um, some with, you know, an entity captured on on video. Um, it, it's it's really it's really difficult to to verify these kind of stories without the direct witnesses, you know, without the video evidence. So when you hear this, you you know, it's a great story. Sometimes it's really hard to believe, but you hear stories very similar to this, you know through the years, you know, especially from, Mm -hmm. you know, from nurses that work in hospitals and nursing homes. So fantastic story. I mean, I love stories just like on duty police officer stories and stuff. mm -hmm. I like the stories of hospitals and experiences around there. And I know you and I have talked about um, wanting to have, you know, a, an episode just on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you being in the medical field, getting different, you know, stories from medical professionals, and and doing a story about all that, and uh, and I, I still think we might be able to pull that oh, off. Yeah. You know. All right. So the next one we got comes from Valentina in Australia, and her location will be important here in a second. She said, this happened to my ex-husband, who I will call M, and yes, I'm still friends with him. We live in far north Queensland, near the northern tip of Australia. We are surrounded by hundreds of miles of tropical rainforest, very thick and largely unexplored due to the extreme terrain conditions. M was in the Army 
for almost 20 years before he decided to set up his own business in land management. So he has had extensive outdoor training and he is an experienced trekker. His job is to now hunt animals that are not native to Australia, mainly wild boars, which are destroying our native fauna and flora. There are certain areas which are heavily populated by wild boars, and as they are mainly nocturnal animals, M works from 9 to 10 p.m. onwards. On this occasion, M and his associate parked their truck near the rainforest area they had been hunting in the past month or so. They made their way in the forest, and this time something felt different as opposed to usual. It was as if something was watching them, and they were being hunted rather than the other way around. As they were slowly walking further into the forest, they started to hear something moving about 20 meters in front of them. At first, it seemed it was moving closer to them. Then it sounded like it was moving away. It sounded a lot bigger than a large boar, and boars are truly the largest animals you find there. They took out the thermal camera, and they could see the clear heat print of a very large figure some 20 to 30 meters in front of them. It was not a boar, not a cassowary bird, or anything they could recognize, and they were very seasoned and experienced hunters. The figure was quite large, well over six feet tall, and of solid build. Then all of a sudden, the figure moved quickly, and they lost the heat print. They had no idea where it went, but they could hear branches moving and cracking as if the thing was running away somewhere in the darkness. They decided to run back to the car and call it a night. In the past, uh, in this part of the rainforest, there are also some strange ground clearings where nothing grows and nobody really knows why. For local indigenous people, this area is traditionally a no-go area, as according to their beliefs, there are bad spirits and they refuse to go there. Em and his colleague truly aren't sure what they witnessed, but they haven't been in the area for quite some time now as they were really freaked out. And they don't freak out easily. They even had weapons. Now, it is said that the Yowie inhabits this area. Yeah, uh, there you go. So, I think that is our first Yowie experience from a listener right. that we've shared. And that's amazing. You know, I'm a Bigfoot fanatic. Right. I love stuff like that. So that was very cool to me. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome story. And you're right. We haven't gotten a listener story uh, about a Yowie since we did that episode. So yeah, uh, thank you so much. That that's I love it. I love that story. Okay, our last story uh, for this show comes from Sean. And Sean writes, in high school, my best friend and I were obsessed with everything paranormal. His house was actively haunted, which started our love for all these things. We even started a research group called GHA, Ghost Hunters Association, and converted a spare bedroom into our office. Late one night, while he and I were at a restaurant drinking coffee, his mom got home from work. She stepped through the front door, and in the living room to her left, she saw two guys sitting in side-by-side recliners talking. Thinking it was my best friend and I, she said, What are you two weirdos doing sitting there in the dark? She turned on the light, and the living room was empty. No one was there. 
My friend's dad was at work, so the house was empty. She immediately left and went to the restaurant to find us. She said we had to get rid of the spooks before she went home. His mom kind of blamed us for the activity in their house since we always messed with the Ouija board or experimented with seances. Yep. We got there and did a quick walkthrough with a pocket cassette recorder. It was the 80s. And we heard some unexplained knocking sounds and felt a few cold spots. We then set up a studio tape deck with two decks built in. Each side would record. And when it hit the end of the tape, it starts recording on the other side. We had two 90-minute cassettes which gave us three hours to hang out with his mom at the restaurant. We didn't have a camcorder, so the audio recording was the best we could do. We did sprinkle some flour on the kitchen floor in hopes of getting footprints. We started the recording and left. We got back around sunup. His mom went to bed, but not until we did another walkthrough. The house was quiet. The flour was undisturbed. And all we had left was the tape recordings. We plugged in a Y jack and each put on a pair of headphones. Just a couple of minutes after we started the recording, we heard the strangest sound. It was like the whooshing sound of wind, but it sounded like it was underwater. It started off quiet and built up louder and louder until the needles on the tape deck were peeked out in the red. It abruptly Mm. stopped. Right after that, We clearly heard two male voices having a conversation. We couldn't understand the words, but it had the cadence of a conversation, and there were two distinct voices. We were amazed. It was seriously one of the coolest things we had ever heard. There weren't any other voices on the tapes, but we did hear some tapping and scraping noises, possibly some breathing too, but nothing substantial. To this day, my dad still has that cassette and a box full of research notes my buddy and I took with all of our crazy experiments. There was a ton of activity in that old house. It sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, you know, start up some, you know, amateur investigations and, uh, and, and actually, you know, gathered some pretty solid evidence. Yeah, that's cool. Pretty cool. So thanks, Sean, for, for sharing that. I mean, that. Sounds like uh, sounds like y'all y'all really had a, a you know a, a cool house to experiment in and uh, and right. do some of these things, but uh, you know that brings us to the end of of this episode. And thank you guys so much. I mean, seriously, these stories are they're out of this world. I mean, they're oh, they're great. It. I mean, we, we really, really appreciate all of you taking the time, you know, to share these stories, to put them down and get them to us for us to share with the rest of the graveyard. I mean, I'm blown away by, mm-hmm. by, you know, just about all of these stories. I mean, I mean, let's face it. I mean, some of our listeners have had some really incredible experiences. Oh yeah. It's amazing. A lot, lot, uh, more detailed and in-depth, maybe even long-term experiences than Matt or I have had. And Matt's had a lot, but some of these are even more vivid and clear than what Matt has talked about. And you know we're fascinated by them. And like Matt said, thank you so much for sending them in. Um, It it just, it's amazing to us how many people 
are sharing their stories with us. And, and we kind of feel like that's because you guys understand this is a safe place and we're not going to judge you for anything you say. And, and we appreciate that trust in us to share your stories with us. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to keep this going one more time. If you tune back in to our next episode, which will be the first episode of 2021. That's right. So, so join us as we, we say adios to 2020 and, uh, get the hell out of here. 2020. <laughs> and we hope all of you have had a, a safe and happy holiday season. Uh, thank you for being members of the graveyard. And as always, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.